0: We're reading from the book of Matthew, of course, Matthew 9, verses 35 through 10 and verse 7, page 556 in the Pew Bible. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered, like sheep having no shepherd. Then He said to His disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into His harvest. And when He had called His twelve disciples to Him, He gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these, first Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus and Lebius, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. God, we thank you and praise you for your word. We thank you for its instruction and guidance. And Father, we just beg and we just ask that you would help us to submit our hearts to your word and to your spirit who uh, indwells us. And God, I pray that our hearts and minds would be open and receptive to hear from you and to submit to your authority, your word of God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
1: All right, thank you, Bill, for leading us in our scripture reading. As we follow Jesus again, Here at the end of Matthew 9, we come to a turning point in his life. A turning point in his ministry. Uh, For those that have maybe not been with us uh, during this series, let me just do a a brief review. Over the last several weeks, we've seen basically the authority of Jesus, the, the power of Jesus, and Matthew has shown this authority of Christ demonstrated in several different stories. These stories, we would call them miraculous stories because in each of these stories, we're seeing a demonstration of Jesus' authority or a demonstration of his power. And so if you go back and if you remember in Matthew chapter eight, we uh, saw that Jesus has authority over disease. We saw that he has authority over disasters. Uh, When we looked at his disciples crossing the Sea of Galilee and a storm comes up, we saw that he also has authority even over the demons when he uh, healed the demon-possessed man. Actually, two of them, when you look at the parallel accounts in in Mark and Luke. We also then saw here in this chapter, Matthew chapter 9, that Jesus even has great authority, great power over death. He has authority over disability. And last Sunday, we ended by looking that he even has authority over the devil himself. And of course, we look forward to that day when his full and final authority over the devil will be when the devil is cast into the lake of fire for all eternity. And we will not have to deal with him anymore. Won't that be a glorious day? So by the end of chapter 9 here in Matthew... I would say, I would suggest to you that it's pretty clear that Jesus' authority, it covers every square inch of this world. That's what Matthew's trying to point out to us. It's what he's trying to show us by each of these miraculous stories. And there's nothing that basically escapes Christ's sovereign rule in this world. As this is his world. This is his universe. This is his domain. And so I hope over these last two months that as we have seen the authority of Jesus demonstrated in these stories that you have been personally encouraged by this. You've been strengthened, that is your heart has been strengthened by seeing perhaps in a new way or a fresh way or even for the first time the Son of God in Jesus Christ here and, and the kind of power that he has, the kind of authority that he has when he walks the face of the earth, and he shows us this in each of these stories, and especially those of you that are actually walking even now through all kinds of trials, sufferings, even disease, sickness, whatever it may be, that you relate this, you see yourselves in these stories, and as Jesus has demonstrated his authority and power for these people in these desperate situations, you're like, man, that's me, that's where I'm at. And if Jesus does that for them, he does that even now for me today. And so I hope you've been strengthened. I hope you have been encouraged. But we would miss the point of this whole series. We would miss the point of Matthew in telling these stories here if we only thought that Jesus' authority was good news for us. Because the reality is, this is good news for the whole world yes we are surrounded by a world immersed in evil and suffering a world that is immersed in sin and sickness and even death and it is good news to proclaim it's good news to celebrate that the the king has come and he has authority over all these things Listen, we sing about it just now and one day he's going to assert his full and final authority over all these things So it is good for us to come as followers of Christ on a weekly basis, on the first day of the week, on the Lord's Day, and to proclaim this to ourselves, to celebrate this good news of Jesus Christ. But the purpose is not just to celebrate the good news of the gospel in the comforts of this auditorium like this, The purpose is also to spread the good news that we are learning here about Jesus Christ from this auditorium into all of Kansas City into all around the world. That's the purpose that we're now going to begin to look at here. It's the turning point that Matthew's showing us as we transition from Matthew 9 in now to Matthew 10. Remember, Jesus is on a mission we're getting ready to celebrate why he came here whereas we enter the holiday season. And Jesus didn't come just so we could put up Christmas trees. Jesus came for much bigger purposes than that. He's on a mission to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came to rescue us from our sins. He came to restore us to new life in him. And so Jesus is the promised Messiah who has come. He is the good news God's people have been waiting for for centuries. And when Jesus came, what did he do? Well, Matthew gives us a brief summary of what Jesus has been doing here in verse 35. Look at it. Matthew 9, Matthew tells us in verse 35, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Now, if this sounds familiar, well, it should. After all, it's exactly what we saw back in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, when Jesus first came onto the scene. You go back to that verse, that chapter, and after Jesus calls Andrew and Peter, James and John, we are immediately told, and we find that Jesus begins his ministry on earth. He's teaching, he's preaching, and he's healing all kinds of sicknesses in order to, in a sense, give proof, to give credibility, to give validation to his authority as the promised Messiah, as the Son of God, as the King of Kings. And so what you have here now, if you think of it this way, in Matthew 4.23, and now here in Matthew 9.35, they sort of act like bookends, and everything in between is what we have been looking at in Jesus' ministry here on this earth, what he's been doing. And now we come to this turning point in his life and ministry. Why? Because Jesus understands. He knows that God's mission of reaching the world, of reaching the lost, will involve more than just himself. Yes, Jesus is the only one who can save us from our sins. He's the only one who can die on the cross as our sinless substitution for our sins. But Jesus also understands that God wants to use us as his creation as his redeemed followers to spread the gospel of Jesus to the ends of the earth. And so now when we come to Matthew 10, what do we find Jesus doing? He's now sending out his disciples on the same mission of reaching the lost. So what does all this mean for us today? Well, and this is the big idea of today's message, if you want to write it down in your notes or just... Listen, here it's coming on the screen, here's what it means for us. The gospel of Jesus Christ demands something of us. It demands that his mission become our mission as his followers. The gospel of Jesus Christ demands that his mission become our mission as his followers. After all, how can we actually claim to be fully devoted followers of Jesus... If his mission is not my mission. Can I actually claim that? Is that actually true of my life? I I, I profess I'm a follower of Christ, but yet his mission is not my mission. That's that's inconsistent. How can it be? And listen, it's not just some part-time mission that we participate on the side where if we have time or, or when it's convenient, no, the gospel of Jesus Christ is we're going to find here and see today and even next Sunday is that it demands that his mission become our one and only mission in life as his followers. So what does this take? What does this require? What does it mean? Well, Jesus shows us in this passage that really we need two basic critical things for his mission to become our mission in life. Notice this. Look at it. First of all, we need a supernatural awareness of the condition of the lost. So here's the picture before us. We have the condition of the lost leading into the commission of Jesus Christ. So the first thing we need is an awareness of the condition of the lost world in which we live. Matthew tells us this condition in verse 36. Look at it. It says, but when he, that is Jesus, saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. During the Christmas season, we often hear a song that begins, said the night wind to the little lamb, do you see what I see? It was written in 1962 in response to the fear created by the Cuban Missile Crisis. And that's why they added the line, pray for peace, people everywhere. The song was destined for obscurity, but then in 1963, Bean Crosby recorded it on his new Christmas album on November 22nd, which was, if I don't know if how many watched the movie Killing Kennedy. If you saw that movie, then you know that it was on November 22nd, 1963, is the exact same day that President John Kennedy was shot in Dallas. There was something about this song that touched the heart of a grieving nation, and that Christmas album of Bing Crosby became a hit. And since that time, dozens of singers have re-recorded it as as well. It's a wonderful song. It actually ends this way, a child, a child sleeping in the night. He will bring us goodness and light. And it's a good song. It's a familiar song. I know most of you are familiar with it but I'd like to kind of rephrase the question that the song begins with and ask it this way. Not, do you see what I see, but do you see what he sees? That is Christ. In other words, do you see the lost the same way that Jesus sees the lost? Because the condition of the lost is, first of all, we need to see the size of the lost multitudes of people that are all around us in this world. Historians estimate that they're at this that at this point, in this region of Galilee in which Jesus lived, there were probably around 200 different cities and villages with up to about 3 million people. So Jesus was ministering in a region with a vast multitude, vast crowds of people. And Matthew now tells us that when he saw the crowds, he wasn't moved by anger against them, he wasn't moved by disgust against them, but rather, he was moved by compassion for them. And the word here for his compassion is not just a, an emotional feeling. Rather, it's, 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 it's the idea of even physical agony. Imagine for a moment, imagine seeing um, someone, person in your life that you hold very dear to your life. Someone you love the most. And you see them in deep hurt, in deep pain. And your heart now just wants to to break for them, just wants to burst for them, because it's almost as if it's like you are actually feeling their pain and their hurt. I'll never forget, I've shared this before, when Jack, uh, when we were sledding over at his aunt's house down the hill, and he broke his leg at the bottom right here. Both bones, snapped him in half. Kapow was right, Jack. Darla was at the top of the hill. I was actually on the tube going down, and he was going to try to jump on me, and that's when he, my legs just basically catapulted him, did a flip in the air. He came down, and his leg was like that. And Darla just screamed. And for the next hour, she, her pain, I, I thought, which one broke their leg? I, just, like, I said, both of them did. It was amazing. That's the idea here. That's the word we've got here for Jesus' compassion when he sees the size of the lost multitudes of people. And, and this is the same Jesus, don't forget this, who lives within us as his followers by his spirit. So maybe it's not possible for us to, to feel this compassion, to be moved by this compassion on our own. But listen, we sh- it shouldn't be on our own. We have the spirit of God within us that moves us. So let us look beyond this warm auditorium, these comfortable pews we find ourselves in, and see the over 7 billion people in the world today. And out of those 7 billion people, it's estimated that there are over 4.5 billion, including thousands of people here in Kansas City, even where you work, where you live, who don't know Christ as their Savior and Lord, you know, on a road that leads to an eternal hell. It's also estimated that there are over 3 billion people in the world who have not heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. We learned just a few weeks ago in our World Outreach Celebration That there are over 3,000 people groups without a disciple maker. There are over 4,000 languages without God's word. And all of this basically means that 4.5 billion people today are headed for everlasting destruction. And if that's the case, then I would suggest for myself and for you that we can't afford to play games with our lives. We can't afford to play games with church. Not with that size of crowd, still to be reached with the gospel. And so Jesus, as a model for us, as an example for us, hopefully is motivating us to see the size of the multitudes of people who are lost in the world today, who desperately need the hope of Jesus Christ. Number two, feel the suffering of the lost multitudes of people. In our awareness, we not only need to see the size, but we need to feel their suffering. Jesus didn't just see their size. He didn't just see their sin. He saw and felt the depth of the suffering that plagued the multitudes because of their sin. Jesus uses two particular words to describe the condition of the lost multitudes of people before him first that he says they were weary some of your translations may use the word harassed It's basically a graphic word that means to skin, mangle, and strip the flesh off of an animal in other words the people were like sheep that had been skinned alive and ripped apart by a vicious animal that's the metaphor here that's the picture and then, second of all Jesus says they are scattered or helpless it's the idea to be cast down from a mortal wound. They were beat up and weighed down by the effects of sin in their lives. And so what Jesus is seeing here is he saw the lost as worn out, as torn up and beat down, and he feels their suffering. And nothing's changed about that in 2,000 years. Dr. Paul Brand worked among lepers for many years. And he reflects on the way Jesus interacted with the crowds, especially those who were diseased, such as lepers. Listen to what he writes. He says, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the eyes of the blind, the skin of the person with leprosy, and the legs of the cripple. I have sometimes wondered why Jesus so frequently touched the people he healed, many of whom must have been unattractive, obviously diseased, unsanitary and smelly. Jesus' mission was not chiefly a crusade against disease, but rather a ministry to individual people, some of whom happened to have a disease. He wanted those people, one by one, to feel his love and warmth and full identification with them. Jesus knew he could not readily demonstrate love to a crowd, for love usually involves touching, he writes. Aren't you thankful that Christ is willing to touch the dirty, the diseased, and the despised? People like us? This is huge because what we need to realize is that the depth here of the compassion of Christ does not arise from anything that is inherent in us. The reality is the multitudes of people before Jesus as he looks at them, listen, they are sinners. Jesus sees them as sinners, and he was the one who had been sinned against. And yet the reality is, when Jesus saw the crowds, he did not see them with an indignation because of their sin. He saw them with compassion because of their suffering. So Lord, man, help us as a church body here. Help us as individual Christ followers of you to feel the suffering of lost people And not just to see their sin and to look with disgust and indignation against them because of it. Jesus saw something here the disciples didn't see. They're with him. And so when Matthew writes this, he's not writing this about the disciples. He's writing it focused on Christ. The disciples didn't see something. Were they blind? No, the disciples weren't physically blind. They were spiritually blind. They didn't see what he saw, and consequently, they didn't feel what he felt. Jesus was moved with compassion here. The world is full of people who are weary and scattered. And so, Lord, we pray, help us to feel what Christ feels. Help us to be a church moved with compassion for the suffering of people where we live and work and around the world. If we're going to gain an awareness of the condition of the lost, we must see their size, we must feel their suffering, and then number three, we must realize the separation of the lost multitudes of people. Jesus said, the multitudes were weary and scattered, and they were like sheep without a shepherd. So the lost here are described as sheep wandering around with no shepherd to lead them and to care for them and to guide them, and to nurture them. So the picture here is sheep who are separated from a shepherd, and as a result, they are weary and scattered. Now, this separation is more than just an analogy. It's more than just a word picture here that Matthew's giving us. This is a reality for lost people. When Jesus saw the crowds, he knew it wasn't just Temporary suffering they were experiencing. It wasn't just disease and sickness. It was actual eternal separation. Jesus knew these people were separated from God. And if nothing changed in their hearts, if they did not hear the good news, if they did not respond to the good news of the gospel, they would be eternally separated from the Father, cast into eternal hell. That's the separation all people are born into. Listen, that's the separation we are born into. And to think that there's still over 4.5 billion people in the world and counting who are without Christ and on a road that leads to eternal hell. Listen, I won't even pretend that we can grasp the magnitude of this amount of people. 4.5 billion. Only God knows that. And yet he knows each individual one. But we, we ought to stop and at least consider this. We ought to stop and at least try to grasp this, try to think about it. We need to realize the gravity of eternity here. There are people all around us who are lost and separated from God. And I'll be the first to admit, it is easy for me to lose sight of this reality here when it comes to my own neighbor's. When I converse with them, when I see them as I take my dog for a walk and I stop and say hi to them, it's easy for me just to see them as my neighbors. When I need to see them with eyes of Christ and see them in separation from God the Father, and if nothing changes in their heart, if God doesn't use me to intervene or if God doesn't use someone else to intervene with the gospel, then their fate is sealed, they're doomed, eternally separated in hell. This is the condition of the lost, so see their sides, feel their suffering, realize their separation. And there's an urgency here to this all, isn't there? Which means we don't have time to waste our lives pursuing the temporary things of this world, the trivial things of this world. As the Welsh poet David White said it this way, I don't want to have written on my tombstone when people finally struggle through the weeds, pull back the moss, and read the inscription, he made his car payments. What a sad epitaph on our lives, if that's all that can be said about us. Instead, don't waste your lives pursuing the things in this world. Listen, make your life count. You say, how? By making his mission your mission. That's how. Which leads us to the second point. For his mission to become our mission, we need a sacrificial obedience to the commission of Jesus Christ. Look what what Jesus says to his disciples in verse 37. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So first, Jesus tells us something, he tells us about a surprising opportunity here. The harvest is plentiful. Now, this is an encouraging truth, and farmers understand this much better than us city folk. If you're a farmer, harvest Is what it's all about. It's the goal of the whole season. It's what you look forward to. Everything a farmer does, he does for the harvest. And every farmer understands that there is a window of time to harvest, and then it's what? It's gone. So again, there's an urgency to all of this here. So the harvest is plentiful, but then Jesus makes a somber observation when he just says, the laborers are few. Now... Why is that? Why are there so few laborers? Well, simple. If you want an in-depth description, ask Mr. Bowman up here. He'll share it all with you. Working in the fields isn't very glamorous, is it? It's hard work. It's slow work. It's often hot work. And it requires a major realignment of our lives, of our priorities, of our passions, and this is why we need a sacrificial obedience to the commission of Jesus Christ. The commission of Christ here is twofold. First of all, Jesus calls us to pray. Look again what Jesus says in verses 37 and 38. He says, "First of all, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few." And then we have this, "Therefore, therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest." Isn't that interesting? Because I don't know about you, but I might expect Jesus to say the harvest is plentiful. The people are harassed. They're helpless. They're like sheep without a shepherd, so pray for them. Pray that they would come to know the Father. But that is not what Jesus says here. Jesus does not say to pray for the lost here. Did you notice that? Do you find that interesting? Although, you can go to other parts of the Bible, New Testament especially, where we get pictures that we are to pray for the lost. It's good to pray that God would open up their eyes, open up their heart. But right here in this passage, Jesus is not focused on that. Jesus' concern here in Matthew 9 is not that the lost will not come to the Father. It seems Jesus' concern is that his followers... Us will not go to the lost. So Jesus says, pray for laborers. Pray that the Lord of the harvest will send out his followers into this harvest. That phrase there, send out, it, it conveys a very powerful image. It means to actually cast out or to fling out or almost to throw out. The idea is we're to pray that God will, in a sense, light a fire within me, light a fire within each of us as his followers, that will result in many people being thrust out, being flung out into the harvest fields of the world. I would just add to this, when you ask God to send out his followers into the harvest, be sure you also surrender yourself as God's answer. To your prayer. God calls us to pray, I think, for one reason here, or one of many reasons, because prayer not only moves the heart of God, but prayer moves the heart of those who pray. And so we pray. And in our praying, folks, listen, we surrender our own lives to God as his laborers we put our lives on the table before God and we surrender everything to him in order to make his mission our mission and if we are holding on to our lives if we are holding on to some old passions, some some old priorities some old possessions that are kinda holding us back then we pray God help me to let these things go. Help me to release them. Help me to leave them behind like Peter and Andrew did. Like Matthew did in the, as the, the tax collector. When Jesus called these disciples, they left everything behind in order to follow him. As Warren Wiersbe says, when we pray as he commanded, we will see that what he saw. We will feel what he felt and do what he did. God will multiply our lives as we share in the great harvest that is already ripe. So part of my prayer this morning, for myself, for for all of us here this morning, is that God would send out his followers into the harvest around the world, but also right here in Kansas City, where we live, where we work. I pray that some of you would see that the place where you work is not just a means to a salary to provide for your family. I pray that some of you would see that the place where you live is more than just a house where you find shelter and comfort. But your workplace, your home place, are places where you have been sent to spread the good news of the gospel. I pray that all of us here, including myself, that we would have fresh eyes, spiritual eyes, when we wake up in the morning and we would realize all over again that I live in this neighborhood. I work at this job for the spread of the gospel. That's why God has me here. That is my mission here. It's not to make money. It's to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, help us to realize that no matter where we live, no matter where we work, that wherever we may find ourselves in this world, that we are your laborers, We are your followers in this harvest field of a lost world. So Jesus calls us, first of all, to pray. And when we pray, we surrender ourselves in the process. And then flowing from that, Jesus commands us to go. Which leads us to Matthew 10, where Jesus commissions his disciples to go. Look what Matthew writes in verse 1. He says, And when he had called his twelve disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. So immediately we see that Jesus' mission now becomes their mission in life. Jesus calls his disciples together and says to them, All right, guys, you've been following me. It's time for you to go. You've been watching me do ministry. It's now time for you to go do ministry. I'm going to send you out to do my mission. Matthew tells us the names of the twelve in verse 2. Didn't Bill do a good job reading those names? But notice something. I don't know if you caught it when he read it for us. There in verse 2, it says, now the names of the twelve, what? Apostles are these. Now that's a change there from verse 1, because in verse 1, the twelve are called disciples. But here in verse 2, the twelve are called apostles. So why the difference? Well, a disciple, the basic meaning of a disciple is it's a learner following a teacher. And that's what we all are as followers of Jesus Christ. And an apostle here actually means someone who is sent out by the teacher. So these twelve disciples are being sent out as ambassadors of Jesus to accomplish the mission of Jesus. And don't miss that Jesus gives his disciples, his apostles here, his sent ones, his authority for his mission. Jesus just doesn't send them out powerless and without authority He gives them his authority. He gives them his power, and the good thing is it's not just for them. Don't have time to show you this, but if you would go over to the very last chapter of this same book of Matthew, Matthew 28, we know it as the Great Commission verses, Matthew 28, 19 and 20, but the verse right before that, right before Jesus commands us to go, Jesus tells us, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth, and then he says, go therefore, and then he ends it by saying, and lo, I am with you. And so as his disciples, listen, we have the authority, we have the power and presence of Jesus to accomplish his mission. He doesn't expect us to do it on our own. Thank God for that, right? Look what Jesus says to the 12 in verses 5 through 7. You see one word mentioned three times. Look at it. These 12 Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Do you see the one word that's mentioned three times? It's a simple little word. We like that word when we come to a stoplight. Yeah, it's the word go. Jesus tells them, go. Don't go here, go there. And as you go, proclaim this. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, Jesus is telling these disciples at this particular time, for this group here, go and proclaim the same thing that John the Baptist proclaimed. Go and now proclaim the same thing that I have been proclaiming. The good news of the gospel is here. So go. So let me share with you. Let me give you five opportunities for us as a church to go with Christ. Number one, our first opportunity is to go by giving to the reach, the unreached through faith promise missions. In your bulletins, you should have one of these. It's right here. It's a faith promise commitment card. And if you've been attending our church for any length of time, you're familiar with this. But I know we have some new people here in the last month, two months, last year, two years. And so, basically, what this is, 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 is the way we commit to give for the spreading of the gospel of Jesus Christ around the world that helps support our missionary partnerships. It's the way that we can go around the world through giving to support others that Jesus has called to go cross-culturally. If you're wondering exactly what is faith promise giving, there's even an insert in your bulletin that explains faith promise giving. Faith promise giving is something that's different than our regular offerings. If you even wanna pull out their blue or uh, vanilla color in in the front of the pew behind you, or in front of you, back of the pew that you're looking at, there's even a giving envelope, and you'll see the very first line says tithe and offering. That goes for our general budget. Our general budget goes to support all of our ministry's operational expenses here locally. And then the very next line says faith promise, and that's our missions budget. And so they're two different things. We need money for both. We have to have funding for both. And so I would encourage you, the first way that we can go to reach the unreached, 4.5 billion people, is by giving financially which then helps us to support these missionaries that we had in just a few weeks ago that you met personally. And uh, so let me encourage you in that way. Number two is to go by giving to the Mark for the Makonde people Bible Translation Project. We introduced this in World Outreach Celebration, but basically what this is, it's, it's, uh, I, we mentioned that there's 4, 000, approximately 4,000 people groups that have no Bible in their language, in their native language. We've identified this people group, the Makande people there, in the little, both in Mozambique and in Tanzania. We have two missionaries there, Roger Schmidt and Lynn Schmidt in Mozambique, uh, who most of you know. We also have Beth and Mitch Kalmis, which were here a few weeks ago, that are in Tanzania. And uh, the Makande people is a people group, and they don't have the gospel in their language. Can you imagine not being able to read God's word in your native language? English, for most of you. Well, this project here, we're taking on to raise money, approximately $17,000, to fund the Bible translation for the book of Mark. That's why we're calling it Mark for the Macandes. We want to raise the money to have the book of Mark translated, and you'll be seeing here, uh, coming up in a few weeks, by the first of January or so, uh, posters all around our church facilities where you can actually sign up even to, to uh, support even one verse, it's $25 a verse is what it comes down to. Kirk Polo was so gracious, he asked my oldest son Tyler, Tyler where are you at? He's back there, uh, asked me, hey you wanna come mow my yard? I don't wanna mow the yard. I don't know, Kirk why didn't you wanna mow the yard? It's November. <laughs> So he said, Tyler, you got, would you be willing to make some money in the, the yard? But there's one caveat. I'll give you 25 bucks, but it's gonna go to Mark for the McConday. <coughs> Tyler's like, yeah, I'm there. I, was, I, I didn't even have to tell Tyler. I didn't even have to push him. He, wa- he wanted, wanted to do that. I thought that was a cool thing. So 25 bucks. I just had, uh, I, I went to the Nebraska Cornhuskers football game yesterday with Phil Graham, the brother of Bob Graham. He was here in our missions conference. He handed me a check yesterday for this very project. I have no idea how it's in an envelope, but all I know is he was moved by it. He's like, I want to be a part of it. I want to help. All our missionaries have done the same. We as a church body are going to have the same opportunity to go by giving to this. Number three, go by sharing the good news of Jesus with your friends, neighbors, and coworkers through the book Christmas Uncut and Christmas Bags. Let me explain that. There's book, this book here is called Christmas Uncut. I have several of them on the back table there. It's a great little read. It's a simple read. What it does, it explains the Christmas story, why Jesus came, the good news of His coming, and this is a great way. And I know not everybody that you know is a reader. That's all right. Don't you know? Give it to them. Maybe they will, if you know. But take several of these. Take you know a handful. Uh, But here's what I don't want you: don't take them and then just leave them on your dresser or leave them in your car. If you're gonna take them, please utilize them. Hand them out to your neighbors, friends, coworkers, um, and, and give them to, it, to that. And what you can also do is stick, out, stick in an invitation card, an invite card to our Christmas services that will be coming up in December. I'll be, be beginning a brand new series, uh, three-week series on December the 8th. Uh, in fact, we're gonna stay in the book of Matthew. We're gonna to go to Matthew 1 and 2 and look at the uh, advent of the king. Jesus is coming. What difference does it make? And so you can even hand both of them, invite them to a, our Christmas worship service. Um, we did this last year, we have some of these back, they're basically New Testaments. And, uh, and inside our invitations to our church, there's also a Christmas track, and there's even a, um, a card that you can write and fill out if you want to, and there's bags of these at the back of the table. Just another tool to utilize to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with your friends and then number four is by inviting your female friends neighbors and co-workers to the women's christmas celebration which will be coming up on friday night february six february six december the six here at the church and uh... and so ladies let me encourage you if you haven't get your ticket and then buy a ticket for somebody else five bucks a ticket dinner and desserts included gospel included in it as well it's a great time great evening And so ladies, you can see, buy tickets from Sandra Howe. Sandra, right? Raise your hand, Sandra. Everybody turn around and look at her. All right, Sandra will be, after the worship service, will be back at the information table. And ladies, you can buy your ticket from her, five bucks. Great opportunity uh, to invite your lady friends. And of course, number five, already mentioned this, but all of us invite somebody. Just imagine if every one of us here invited at least three people to come to church during our Christmas worship services. Wouldn't that be awesome? Or do we even know any lost people to invite? That begs the question, doesn't it? Let me show this video here before we continue on. I hope you'll invite someone, a neighbor, coworker, friend, whoever, and I hope and pray that you'll use these opportunities here to go with Christ. Why? Because the gospel of Jesus Christ demands that his mission become our mission as his followers. Now, let's be honest, going's not always easy, is it? Especially when you've been stuck in the same routine of life. So how do we start moving then? How do we start going? How does his mission become my mission? And the answer is simple, by the power of God. Because this is only something that God can do in us and through us. So I want to encourage you, coming here up on the screen, notice this, to take the 30-day prayer challenge. You're like, what's the 30-day prayer challenge? Real simple, look at it here in your notes. 30-day prayer challenge is this, Lord, burden me with a supernatural awareness of the condition of the loss, and give me a sacrificial obedience to the commission of Christ. Amen. And the 30-day prayer challenge is this. To just pray that simple prayer for the next 30 days. I confess, this is a prayer I need to desperately pray myself. And I have a sneaking suspicion this is a prayer that you probably need to pray as well, too. And so for the next 30 days, I invite you, let's together pray this prayer as a church family. And see what God will do in us and through us. Let's ask God to help us to see people like Jesus sees them. To see them... As lost in their sin. To feel their suffering and to realize their separation from God. And let's ask God to help us to have meaningful conversations with lost people. To have conversations that go beyond just the weather and the chiefs. To go to conversations that, that things that really make a difference in life. Let's ask God to give us a sacrificial obedience to the commission of Christ. And that his mission would truly become my mission. After all, his mission is the only mission that matters to those who know Christ as their Savior and Lord, to those who have been rescued from sin and restored to new life. That's the good news of the gospel. Jesus has died on the cross. He's risen from the grave. And folks, he's coming back. That's part of the good news as well. And that's what we celebrate. That's what we sing about. And so now let's share this Christmas season. But let's also reflect on it today as we now come to the Lord's table for communion. And so with your heads bowed, and as Terry and Dana, Sarah and Kirk come, Terry's going to sing a song. And as she does, I want to encourage you to go to the Lord, to respond to God in prayer. You say, what do I pray? Pray this prayer. Right here, begin today, the first day of the 30-day prayer challenge. Pray this prayer and then give thanks to God that he himself followed through on this prayer, that he lived out this prayer, that he sacrificed his own life for you. And then once Terry and Dana are done singing, Kirk and Sarah will continue to play. And as they do, you're invited to come and participate in communion here at these four tables. And so let me encourage you to respond.